0: Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. What up, y'all? Welcome into to the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. Thank you all for listening to episode 81 of the podcast here on Wednesday, November 2nd. It is... A huge massive podcast because this week we are focusing on the midterm elections which you may or may not have heard but those are coming up pretty soon less than a week from when this podcast drops so you might want to start paying attention if you haven't already if you have that's great but i've got all the facts that you need to get ready to vote if you haven't already to know Everything that's going on, the most important issues that voters like us are keeping track of, the biggest races across the country that could decide control of the Senate, the House, governor's mansions, all across the country. There are a ton of elections that are happening this year in the United States, and we are going to go through them to make sure you all know the most important ones that will decide the future of the United States of America. We are going to get all into that in just a moment. But before we do, I just wanted to remind y'all that if you have liked the Zaders Facts podcast in previous episodes, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 81, rate and review the podcast, then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Zater's Facts is there. That is Zater with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. Spread the facts! Zayder's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the Zayder's Facts Podcast. Zayder's Weekend Facts, our weekly newsletter with the top headlines from the past week. That comes out every Sunday morning. Check it out. Link is in this episode's description. Xander's Facts Linktree has all the Xander's Facts that you need, and the brand new Xander's Facts website, Xander'sFacts.com, Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-F-A-C-T-S.com. That is Xander'sFacts.com, and it includes the Xander's Facts Shop, one of the greatest inventions, I would argue, in the history of the world. Yeah, okay. And I'm actually, before we get to our main topic today going to go through that, again, to make sure everyone knows how to get to the Zaders Facts shop, because it is on ZadersFacts.com, but it's on, it's not on the main tab, you have to go to another tab to get to it, so if you go to ZadersFacts.com, Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-F-A-C-T-S.com, ZadersFacts.com, that brings you to the homepage, the homepage has everything, it has got the link for the podcast, and then it's got the link for the weekend facts, the newsletter, then it's got the link for the shop. It's got it says the exclusive home of Xander's Facts. It's got featured products on the shop. It's got what's going on with the podcast. It's got a ton of stuff, but it doesn't have the shop. So if you are on a computer and a web browser like Safari, Chrome, Firefox, whatever Microsoft has Edge, all those, you go to xandersfacts.com. I'll spell it out for you again if I need to. Xandersfacts.com. That brings you to the homepage. At the top, it says 15% off of all purchases over $50 until Wednesday at the Zaders Facts shop. That's this Wednesday. That ends Wednesday, 11.59 p.m. So I would get on that if you all were you all. But below that, it says Zader's Facts, and then it's got all our tabs. Home, About, Podcast, Newsletter, Shop, and Contact. I told you what's on Home. About is basically the history of Zaders Facts and why Zader's Facts. Is actually a thing. Ugh. And then the podcast tab has everywhere you can listen to the Zaders Facts podcast. That is all linked there. And then the newsletter tab sends you straight to our Substack page because that's where Zaders Weekend Facts is located. And you can also listen to the podcast there on Substack. And then you have the shop. You also have the contact tab where you can contact Zaders Facts if you've got any facts or any complaints. I don't know why you'd have any complaints, they're facts. But if you did, You would fill out that form but on the shop tab you've got xander's fact shop that brings you to a whole nother dimension the xander's fact shop the only place to grab your facts swag at the top it says explore the fact shop that brings you to all the products there are 50 products on the shop right now all of them are amazing by the way but that brings you there then you scroll down you've got featured facts on the shop we've got a couple products in the featured section which you could check out then featured collections. So this is where we group them into collections on the homepage of the shop. There's outerwear. So you got hoodies, sweatshirts, sweaters, all that stuff, headwear, hats, beanies. Yes. Shirts, stickers, of course, and kids because you are never too young to learn the facts. True. True. There you go. But then under that, It says view all. That brings you to the collections page. That's got all the collections. Accessories. The accessories has a ton of stuff. Socks. Mouse pads. Airpods cases because everyone uses their airpods. Drawstring bag. Water bottle. Headband. Flags. Oh my gosh. There's a ton of stuff on there. Check out the accessories. And then you've also got all products. Those are also on there if you want to check out all 50 products. Bottoms. Shorts pants, that stuff, the featured section, headwear, hats, kids, outerwear, shirts, and stickers. So all that stuff is there. And then you can click on a product, and it'll show you multiple images and some descriptions. All the descriptions, by the way, were edited by Xander himself to give them a little fact flavor. So there's that on there, and you can also pick out the one you want because a lot of the products have different options, colors, sizes, all that stuff. Like if you have a sticker, a lot of the stickers have different colors you can choose from and sizes. So you can choose those. You can click add to cart or you can click buy with, mine says Apple Pay because I'm on a Mac, but buy with other stuff, more payment options, but you can add it to your cart and then you can buy all this other stuff. It'll be amazing. And you can also, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's customer reviews, no reviews yet. You all got to review the facts. And it says, if you create an account, Xander's Facts account, which you have to create on that website, you get free shipping over $75. On orders over $75, you get free shipping. How about that? So you got to add up all the facts to your cart, then check out, then they ship to you soon, and then you get all the facts. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. Xander's Facts shop. Is amazing, by the way. You all need to go check it out. SandersFacts.com. It is linked in this episode's description. Check it out. So that's not what I'm talking about this week, but that was just a little, I had to spread the facts out there. This is Sanders Facts. This week on this podcast, we are talking elections. Now, actually, you may remember we talked elections about a month ago. We had our one month to the vote. Podcast where we preview the midterms early. We did that a month ago. Then a couple weeks ago, we talked about the elections that were happening in Brazil. And those happened this Sunday, the presidential election in Brazil. We talked about Lula and we talked about Bolsonaro, the incumbent. And Bolsonaro lost. It was about a two point margin, about 51% to 49%. It was really close. But Lula won. And surprisingly, Bolsonaro, actually, he hasn't conceded, but he says he will not contest the results of the election. So if that actually happens, I mean, he was talking about, you know, bad stuff happening. So if that happened and it was a peaceful transition, unlike what can happen in this country when some people lose and get whiny and cry about it. Huh? Well, that would be good for Brazil. Democracy continues in Brazil for now. Hopefully it'll continue in the U.S. We're going to talk about American democracy this week because I have got not just my midterm elections preview, my 2022 super midterm elections preview. This stuff is super because it is one of my favorite times of the year. Election time. It is officially November, if you didn't know. Wednesday, November 2nd is when this podcast comes out. And when it's November, in an even-numbered year, It is time for a big election in the United States. Now, of course, you may remember last year, Virginia, New Jersey, other states had governors and legislature elections, and Virginia is going to have more legislature elections next year. And I believe Kentucky and some other states are having governor's elections. So elections happen every year, which is why you should vote every year. But in even numbered years, like this year is 2022, that's when there are a whole host of elections that happen. There's not a presidential election this year. That happened in 2020. This happens every four years. These are congressional elections that happen every two years and a lot of statewide elections, which we are going to talk about because all this stuff is important. So we're going to talk about it on our Xander's Facts 2022 Super Midterm Elections preview. We are less than one week away from election day. That is on Tuesday, November 8th. We are six days away. It is time to get serious, y'all. This week, I have got our final preview of these midterm elections from Xander's Facts, the only midterm preview that you need, because it's the only one with facts. Duh. Duh. There are 35 Senate seats in the United States Senate 435 United States House of Representative seats. That's all the seats in the House. 36 governorships and numerous state and local seats on the ballot this November. You have got to get your facts to make sure not just what you're voting for, but also what you're going to be watching once the results start to come in on Tuesday on election night. Y'all, let me just tell you, this podcast right here, Podcasts like these are the reason Xander's Facts exists. Podcasts like these are why I started this podcast. This one is going to be pretty 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 good. Debatable. So, let's dig in. Get cozy, get comfy. We're going to be here for a while previewing the 2022 midterm elections. But before we get into everything that's going to happen, we think may happen, I just wanted to let you know that if you live in the United States and haven't voted yet, you should probably make a plan to vote. You can vote early in person or by mail, or you can vote in person on Tuesday, November 8th, which is election day. And there are two websites that are linked in this episode's description, vote.org and iwillvote.com. Those have all the information that you need to be able to know how to vote. Depending on where you live. But hopefully, you've already voted. Like Xander, I've already voted. It's awesome. So, for the final time in 2022, let's break down everything going on in these midterm elections, the overall outlook, the top races to watch, and the biggest issues voters are thinking about. This is gonna be the first time that we are compiling all these issues into one podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's get to it. We're gonna start with an overview of how things have shifted in the past few weeks, because I did want to address this. There have been significant shifts overall since we did the podcast a couple weeks ago in October. But I did want to say that just like for the podcast a couple weeks ago, I'm using a bunch of election forecasts, polling averages, predictions, all that stuff, to be able to bring these facts to you. Those include 538's forecast. That's from Nate Silver, ABC News. The Economist's forecast for the midterms, the Real Clear Politics polling averages, Politico's forecast 2022, and race ratings from the Cook Political Report, and Sabado's Crystal Ball from Larry Sabado at the University of Virginia's Center for Politics. So I did want to address what has been a common theme among a bunch of races and overall that there has been a shift in favor in recent weeks towards Republicans. Last month, when we did our podcast a couple weeks ago, Democrats were given a 67% chance of keeping control of the Senate by 538. On Tuesday, November 1st, it is a dead heat, 50% for both parties when I was doing my little thingy research. 538's model also gives Republicans an 83% chance to win the House, that is up from 69% nice a few weeks ago. Nice! You've also had polling averages that have shifted in favor of Republicans, and race ratings have been leaning towards Republicans in the last few weeks. So, the big reason is... Xander! Why is this happening? I will tell you. Actually, I don't actually know, but there are some reasons why it might be happening. No one really knows why, because if someone really knew everything... They would be a genius and put on this massive platform to spread the facts to everyone, which is kind of what I'm doing now. But I don't actually know. The question is, why is this happening? Has national sentiment really changed in the last few weeks? I mean, we're going to be taking a look at the biggest issues later on. But when you actually look at the economy, the economy is the biggest issue in these midterms, at least according to the polling, like from the past month, at least and in the last few months. Nothing's really changed, for worse or better, by the way. The inflation numbers have, they're not good, but they've remained the same. Gas prices have fluctuated up and down, and right now they're on a downward little thing. So that would not help Republicans in this issue. And basically, there are a ton of other economic factors which are not forecasting anything bad, which haven't been for a while. Nothing's really changed. With the economy, but with crime, Republicans have, of course, tried to make crime a bigger issue. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Maybe that's getting to voters. Maybe enthusiasm for Democrats over abortion is waning. That was back in June when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It's now November. And as we know, people like to forget things very Quickly, or maybe it's something else not related to the issues. If we actually take a look at the polling in some of the key states, overall, Republican numbers have gotten better over the last few weeks. But here's a question you should be asking Who exactly are releasing these polls? Here's some data that I found on Twitter. Oh my gosh, Twitter, Elon Musk. It's not that bad yet. So hold on. Calm down, bruh. Simon Rosenberg is who I found on Twitter. He is the founder of New Democrat Network and liberal think tank, New Policy Institute. So yes, he is a terrible, terrible, evil person known as a liberal. However, he is backing his claims up with facts and data. You cannot argue with facts and real data. So here's what he is saying, Simon Rosenberg. He found the percentages of polls that were released by Republican allied groups in the month of October that were calculated into 538's group. Republican allied groups are obviously going to be putting out better numbers for Republicans because they want to project the notion that they are winning. So, what he found was that in Arizona, in October, 75% of the polls in 538's model. Came from Republican allied groups, 75%. That number was 60% in Nevada and Pennsylvania, 55% in Georgia, and 50% in Ohio and Washington. So the, you have to bring up the question there when you've got that information. Could it be that Republicans are flooding in low quality partisan polls to skew the averages? That could be the case. I'm not saying. That it actually is, because we won't know, no one, people can tell you, this is gonna happen, this is who's gonna win, this is who's gonna lose, and they're all guessing, because none of us know what's gonna happen until Tuesday night, when the election results come in. That's a fact! Okay, so I'm just saying, maybe that is the case. We won't know until we actually get numbers from election day. But one notable exception to the Republican shift was a poll that was released this week from what 538 rates as an A plus pollster, one of the best pollsters, the New York Times Siena College poll that just came out this week. It shows better numbers for Democrats than what we've been seeing. Could it be that it's just an outlier from all these other ones, which are correct? Maybe all these Republican leaning pollsters are correct. We don't know. We'll have to see. Or maybe this is more in line with reality. Again, I can't answer that question. We can answer it after Tuesday, which we will do later on in this podcast, by the way, in a future episode. So Democrats are holding out hope that the actual results that we get next week show that Democrats overperform these polling averages. It's certainly possible, but you got to remember, Republicans were the ones that have been overperforming polls in the last few cycles, so... I'm obviously, I'm going to repeat this again, not saying that this is what's happening, but it's certainly a plausible scenario. It's just a theory that may or may not be true. We will see if it's true. If you say so. So there's that. But one thing that we could not look at back on our podcast a few weeks ago that we can now is early voting data because people are already voting, including Xander. Now. Obviously, we don't have the actual numbers of who is getting votes. We don't know how many votes that the Democrats or Republicans have actually gotten, but we do have data on which parties these voters already belong to, which is helpful in this scenario. Simon Rosenberg, that man from Twitter who I mentioned earlier, has been tracking early voting data on his Twitter And it is showing positive signs for Democrats, obviously, though, I have to say. He probably wouldn't be talking about it as much if it didn't. But the fact is, the numbers he is getting from official election sources do not lie. So as of Tuesday, Democrats are estimated to have turned in 50.8% of early votes. That's compared to 39.2% for Republicans and 10% for unaffiliated voters. Obviously, these are estimations. That's out of 22,963,022 votes that were tabulated or not counted, but returned at least to where they can be counted later on. Because a lot of states don't start counting any votes until the polls close on election day, which is going to delay some results like we saw in 2020. But compare that 50.8% number for Democrats. That's just higher than 50.3% that Democrats had seven days before Election Day in 2020. Of course, there were a lot more votes than 61,293,402 votes. But if you compare it to 2018, when at this stage, seven days out from Election Day, there were 22 million votes, Republicans actually held an edge. They had 46.5%. Democrats had 45.2%. Now, obviously, we are in a new era of early voting compared to 2018. It's much easier in a lot of states to vote early, and there's been some mixed messaging among Republicans. Democrats are like, vote whenever, election day, early, however you want. There's a lot of, there's some Republicans who are like, you must vote on election day. There are others who say, vote early, vote on election day. So There may be Republicans who are inclined to vote on Election Day. And what we saw in 2020 is a lot more Republican vote come in from Election Day and a lot more Democratic vote come in from early voting. So we'll see how all that plays out. Obviously, 2018 was better than 2020 for Democrats. But obviously, 2018 was like four years ago and it feels like an eternity ago. And there's also... The fact, maybe, that Democrats who are registered Democrats who have voted in Democratic primaries before may be voting for Republicans, and vice versa. So the data is definitely not definitive in this case. But remember, neither are forecasts and polls, okay? The only definitive data we're going to get is on Election Day. So we'll see. There is definitive data we have gotten, though, from earlier in the cycle. We've had a couple special elections. New York had a House special election. Alaska. Y'all remember what happened in Alaska? A Democrat won in Alaska, and now the Democrat is favored to win re-election in Alaska for a full term, and you had the abortion referendum in Kansas. Those gave Democrats hope. Those were good for Democrats. Whether they can rehash that momentum or whatever happened there, we'll have to see. So all that is to say that there's a lot of reasons why you could make the case for why Republicans are doing really well or why Democrats are still holding on. The fact is, the only numbers that truly matter are the results that we get on Tuesday night. The polls don't matter unless you vote, which is what you got to do. So taking all that into account, 25 minutes into this podcast, I'm going to get into the key races that you need to be focusing on, even if you aren't able to vote in these key races. You don't live in these districts or states or what have you. You should still vote, by the way, and also these are going to be the ones that decide control of tight governorships and Congress across the country, so you might want to pay attention. We've got the Senate, the House, and a bunch of governorships. So let's start with the Senate. Here we go! As you well know, it is a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. The Vice President Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker that gives Democrats the majority. This year, there are 35 Senate seats out of the 100 that are up for grabs. 21 of those are currently held by Republicans. 14 are currently held by Democrats. Now, the states where Republicans have Senate seats up for election, and they only have one in all these states, except for Oklahoma, they have two Senate seats, but in the rest of these states, they only have one. Those are Alaska, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, and Wisconsin. Now, Democrats have seats up for election in Arizona, Colorado, California, Connecticut, Georgia, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, New Hampshire, New York nevada oregon vermont and washington state of course not all of those seats are competitive you're going to get some safe seats that are most likely not going to flip in this election for democrats those are california connecticut hawaii illinois maryland new york oregon and vermont those are basically not going to flip for Republicans, you've got Alaska, Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, North Dakota, both of the Oklahoma seats, South Carolina and South Dakota. Those all appear to be safe for Republicans. Now, you've got two in Oklahoma because one of the senators is up for a regular reelection; election The other, it's a special election because one of the senators is retiring. So that's why you have two in Oklahoma. And also Alaska. Alaska, of course, obviously has that ranked choice voting system with four candidates on the ballot. You've got really the top two are Republicans. Incumbent, moderate Lisa Murkowski and MAGA Republican Kelly Tishibaka. One of those two is likely going to win. But just like we saw in the House race a couple weeks, months ago, it could become possible the Democrat has a chance If Republican voters choose to rank the Democrat number two, because in ranked choice voting, as we talked about on this podcast before, you rank the candidates one through four in this case, they could rank the Democrat number two over the other Republican. That's what happened in the Alaska House special election earlier this year, and the Democrat won. The Democrat did not get the most votes in the first round of voting. They got it afterwards because the second place votes started to matter. And that's where the Democrat prevailed. That could happen here, but it's pretty unlikely. One of those Republicans is going to win in Alaska. So each side has competitive seats this year that they currently hold. Remember, it is a 50-50 Senate. Every seat is crucial. So I'm going to start here with the seven Republican-held seats that are competitive. Republicans currently hold these seats, but they are considered competitive. So I'm going to go in order from least likely to flip to most likely to flip for what I believe. So we've got Utah, Iowa, Florida, Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Let's break these down. And let's start with Utah and Iowa, which we didn't get into last time on the podcast because they were not considered competitive. Utah's race is really interesting because the incumbent senator, Republican Mike Lee, is not facing a Democrat. He's facing an independent, Evan McMullen, who is a former Republican who left the party because of Donnie Boy. He still identifies as a conservative, but he says he's not going to caucus with either party huh. if he gets elected, which could be very, <laughs> very interesting. And that's definitely a contrast with Lee, who has definitely cozied up. To Donnie Boy in recent years and went on Fox News, I believe, Sean Hannity's show, and basically told everyone, Sean, I need help. I could probably find that audio, but like, he sounded pretty desperate. I don't think he should have. I think that Lee is still gonna win. 538 gives him a 96% chance of winning. Most of the polls show him ahead, but some by small margins. Sabotez, Crystal Ball, Cook Political Report, and Politico all rate the race as likely Republican. I think that Utah's probably not going to flip, and it wouldn't even flip to the Democrats. It would be independent. But same for Iowa. Iowa does have a Democrat facing the incumbent Republican senator. Pidgin, man! 89-year-old Republican Senator Chuck Grassley. Don't let the Republicans in Iowa tell you Joe Biden is too old. When they're about to elect an 89-year-old man. Oof. For a six-year term, by the way, he would be 95 when that ends. He is up for re-election against Democrat Michael Franken. And Grassley's race is also rated likely Republican. He's been given a 96% chance to win by 538, 99% by The Economist. The only thing that I think has drawn this race a little closer recently is you had a poll Now, a single poll is, you know, whatever. But this poll does something, because this was a Des Moines Register poll that was conducted by Selzer & Co. and Selzer. This is considered the gold standard for polls. Like, out of all the polls that are out there, this is the best one that has gotten everything, basically, that it predicts. Correct. It knows what's going on in the state of Iowa. So this poll that was conducted in mid-October showed that Grassley only has a three-point lead. That is certainly close. Closer than it seems. Now, in 2020 and in 2016, I think, Donnie Boy definitely overperformed in the polls. Obviously, Donny Boy's not on the ballot. This is something else. But the race may be closer than it seems. It may not be. But I would definitely be surprised if Chuck Pigginman Grassley does not win. Now we go over to Florida. Florida's a little closer. Incumbent Republican Senator Marco Rubio, little Marco, is facing Congresswoman and former Sheriff Val Demings. The two had a debate recently, and it did not go well for Rubio at all. But we are in a new stage of U.S. politics where that probably doesn't matter. At all to the common Florida voter, or at least very little. According to 538, Rubio's got a 93% chance to win, 98% from The Economist. The race is rated likely Republican. It's likely that, at least this year, Florida has swung a little too far out of Democrats' reach at the moment, even with all the people who died from COVID, who were stupid, didn't wear masks, didn't get vaccines, all that stuff. Whoops. Still, doesn't look like Democrats are going to win in Florida this year a shock result there could be a shock you never know could put them back in play for the state democrats but it looks like ruby is going to win in florida then you go to ohio ohio which republicans have kind of dominated in recent years except for the fact that they have a democratic senator sherrod brown who they elected in 2018 by a pretty wide margin but this race is pretty close between author of hillbilly Elegy, J.D. Vance, and Congressman Tim Ryan, the Democrat. It appears better for the Republicans, at least according to the data, in recent weeks. The two are vying to replace retiring Republican Senator Rob Portman. And according to 538, Vance has a 78% chance to win. The Economist, he has an 81% chance to win. I think that back when we did the podcast a couple weeks ago, Ryan was favored to win, according to The Economist. Not anymore. And the Real Clear Politics polling average has advanced up two percent. But hold on, pause. Here it comes. I want to talk to you all about Real Clear Politics because this is basically the only site in the entire web internet sphere, which is ridiculous, that conducts an average of polls. But Real Clear Politics, if you go on that website, that is littered with right wing garbage articles like if you read that stuff just the headlines are nauseating like it's disgusting and they don't first off they don't write the articles they find them on the internet and then they link them on their web page and also apparently they tend to favor republican pollsters in their averages so i'm not so sure about real clear politics is it real clear i don't know we will see though We'll compare the results to the final forecasts and polling after the election on this podcast. So we will see if real clear politics had a slant towards one side or not. So we'll see. But anyway, for the Ohio race, the three Raiders all have Ohio as lean Republican. Most polls show Vance with a single digit lead, but I would say it's definitely more likely for the Democrat, Tim Ryan, to have a shot to win. the three aforementioned races ryan's a pretty good candidate for ohio a win right now would be an upset i think for tim ryan though the republican is currently favored in ohio north carolina has not sent a democrat to the senate since 2008 it's the truth democrats of north carolina have been screaming at the national party Please give us money, give us resources, we can win in North Carolina. They think that they have got a good shot with former state Supreme Court Justice Sherry Beasley. She is facing Congressman Ted Budd, the Republican. Those two are vying to replace retiring Republican Senator Richard Burr. Now, Budd has a 78% chance to win according to The Economist, 79% according to 538. Most polls show Bud with a small lead. Most of those actually in the margin of error. So the race is rated lean Republican, and Beasley certainly has a shot. This race is going to be one to watch early in the night, though. North Carolina is going to be some of the first polls to close. Democrats, they don't need to win it to keep control of the Senate. But if they do, or they're very close, that would show that they should be okay, at least in the Senate. But obviously, we won't know until Tuesday night. Now to the two states that are currently held by Republicans that Politico and Cook Political Report have rated as toss-ups. Those would be Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Pennsylvania looks better for the Democrats right now. Wisconsin looks better for the Republicans. So let's start with Wisconsin. Incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Oh, Ronnie, who said he wouldn't run for a third term after he won in 2016 is running a third term against the evil Democrats. And Democrat Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, another debate moment here, uh, because this was quite something. At the end of their debate, the candidates were both asked to say one admiral thing they thought about the other candidates. So here's how that went. So our final question here tonight is, both of you have been successful in life. You have 30 seconds here. Mr. Barnes, you go first. What do you find admirable about your opponent? Well, no, no, seriously, I, I do think you know the senator has proven to be a family man, and I think that's that's admirable. Uh, you know, that's absolutely to be respected. He, he speaks about his family. He's uh, done a lot to provide for them. I absolutely respect that. Mr. Johnson. I mean, likewise, I appreciate the fact that uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes had loving parents, a school teacher, father worked third shift, so he had you know good upbringing. I guess what puzzles me about that is with that upbringing, why is he turned against America? I mean, what, why, why does he find the All founding of right. America awful? Right. Somehow. The, it we We me. did not. So yeah, what a guy, Ron Johnson. That just tells you the type of person he is. But Wisconsin voters would like to put him back in the Senate. He's got an 80% chance to win, according to 538. Most polls show him ahead. He's got a 3% advantage in the real clear politics average. Again, take that as you will and an 89% chance to win, according to The Economist. The crystal ball says lean Republican for this race. Of course, the others say it's a toss-up. I mean, I would think that in a state that Joe Biden won, where you have another Democratic senator, it would definitely be disappointing for Democrats if they cannot win against a crazy MAGA conspiracy theorist candidate talked about the 2020 election was rigged. It wasn't, just so you all know. If they can't win in that state where Biden won in 2020, I mean, I don't know. Even Johnson isn't coming, but he's crazy. Like you heard what he said, he's crazy. I don't know. But now to Pennsylvania, where the race between Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and everyone's favorite doctor, Mehmet Oz, has gotten tighter, at least according to the data. This would be a flip if Democrats can win, but it's one that they really, really need to if they have any chance of keeping control of the Senate, or at least they want to expand their majority, which they really want to, but they would, you know, take keeping the Senate over the other party having the Senate. But it looks more and more like split-ticketers are coming back out of the woods from extinction. Split-ticketers are back, and they may have a big role in Pennsylvania with the governor's race and the Senate race. Democrats are worried about John Fetterman, because I don't know if you all saw the debate that he had with Dr. Oz. He suffered a stroke back in the summer, and is recovering. I think most everyone knows that. but he had a rough debate. He had to read off the teleprompter, the questions. It just yeah, it was not a good debate at all for Fetterman. Of course, Dr. Oz didn't do that much better. He was spouting all. Weird stuff. Said he would vote for Trump in 2024, just so you all know. I don't think so. In that scenario with Fetterman, Democrats are arguing they are taking the stance that it is admirable and it took massive courage for Fetterman to show up and debate. Republicans are arguing he is not fit to serve. Of course, he's getting, he's recovering from that stroke. He's getting better. Republicans are nominating Herschel Walker in Georgia. Basically, I could see how that could make people think some things like that, Republicans' arguments, for Fetterman. But you've also got Dr. Oz, who you would then be voting for, and I don't know if people are going to be that enthusiastic for the Doc. But right now, Fetterman's given a 58% chance to win from 538, 55% from The Economist, Those two numbers are much lower than a few weeks ago, though, but those were already declining into the debate. Sabato's crystal ball has this race as lean Democrat, and that recent New York Times poll that I mentioned a little earlier, which was conducted both before and after the debate, has Fetterman up five points. Results are likely going to take time, mostly everywhere, of course, on election night, but especially in Pennsylvania, as we saw... 2020 was one of the final states to finally get a prediction. But if Democrats lose this race, I mean, if they lose this, I don't think they win Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina, and some others that we're going to mention. So if they lose Pennsylvania, that might just be it for Democrats. Now, over to the six competitive seats that Democrats currently hold, Let's rank them in order from least likely to most likely to flip. Those six are Washington, Colorado, New Hampshire, Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada. Let's start with Washington State. That race where incumbent Democratic Senator Patty Murray and Republican Tiffany Smiley appears to have tightened a bit, but Murray should not lose. No polls show Smiley a lead. 91% chance to win according to 538. 93% from The Economist. If this race is even close, it's a bad night for Democrats. Democrats should not lose in Washington state. Same in Colorado. Incumbent Senator Michael Bennett is facing Joe Odea, the Republican, who has tried to position himself as a moderate in an increasingly blue state. Bennett's got a 91% chance to win from 538. The Economist gives him a 99% chance. In this case, too, no polls show Bennett losing. It should not be close. If it is, that's trouble for Democrats nationwide. Bennett should stay in the Senate. And then you've got New Hampshire, which is a little closer. National Republicans have rallied behind extreme candidate Donald Bolduc, hoping to pull off a big upset. But like some of the other candidates out there, he's a little crazy. Incumbent Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan is currently favored to win. She's got a 76% chance according to 538. according to The Economist. Most polls show a single-digit lead for Hassan, and there's probably going to be some ticket splitters. We're going to talk about New Hampshire a little bit later, but incumbent Republican Governor Chris Sununu is expected to win re-election. But Hassan should not lose this race, another where Democrats should not lose. It may be very close. If it is, that probably means trouble for Democrats. Hassan should not lose in New Hampshire. Now, those you can kind of clump those three. Democrats should win those, and they probably shouldn't be close. The next three are going to be close, we know that. Get ready. Starting with Arizona, incumbent Senator Mark Kelly, the astronaut, who is married to former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, is facing venture capitalist and MAGA boy Blake Masters. Kelly has a similar two-point lead to Hassan in the real clear politics average. Take with that what you will. chance to win, according to The Economist, but only a 67% chance, according to 538. Now, the polls and the forecasts have gotten closer recently. That could, of course, be from the Republican polls that are flooding the state. Remember, 75% of the polls that were in the 538 average in October were Republican polls from Republican Party pollsters. Fact! So just remember that about Arizona. If that comes to fruition, if we see like, okay, if we see results in Arizona that, for the Democrats, are much better than what the polling averages and the forecasts are suggesting, that means that that was probably the case. But if not, then those Republican pollsters may have turned out to be right. So, but we will see. But a poll in that state that is not a republican bias poll is the New York Times-Siena College poll. That came out earlier this week. It showed Kelly up six points. The race, according to the crystal ball, is lean Democrat, but it's a toss-up for Cook and Politico. This is a state Democrats have to win. They have a strong candidate, and Blake Masters. (laughs) He would be a major Donny Boy lackey. So now you've got Georgia, Uh, everyone's favorite former football player, who got a lot of things out of football, might I say. Dang! Herschel Walker is facing incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock, who, as I mentioned, is the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, which is the church in Atlanta where Martin Luther King Jr. was co-pastor. Walker, obviously, if you listen to my previous podcast, and if you just know anything about politics, has said some pretty interesting things in this campaign. You all remember, why are we not looking at an agency that's looking at young men, that's looking at women, that's looking at social media? That's what we should do to get rid of all the mass shootings. Um, The clean air, our air, is moving over to China. China's bad air is coming over here. That's what the Green New Deal is doing, apparently. Stuff like that. If you want to hear the clips, you can go on the internet. And they're on the podcast where I did my one month to the vote preview, so I will play them here. He's also had the controversy surrounding his family, his conservative son, calling him out as a father and being accused of paying for and encouraging abortions in recent weeks. He was accused in recent weeks. These happened years ago. Of course, he is very pro life, Herschel Walker. And then in the debate he had with Warnock, he pulled out an honorary sheriff's badge, which I don't know. But at least at the polls, None of that has swayed the people of Georgia from loving their Herschel. He's now favored to win with a 53% chance, according to 538. But according to The Economist, Warnock's got a 52% chance to win. All three ratings have it as a toss-up. Now, Georgia is one of those states that has lots of partisan Republican polls. The New York Times poll that I just mentioned has Warnock up three points. And also something to note. With this race specifically in Georgia, if neither candidate hits 50%, then the top two candidates, which are going to be Warnock and Walker, go to a runoff. So there is the chance that this race may not end on Tuesday. It could extend into January. Remember, this is what happened with the two Senate races two years ago in Georgia, which decided the Senate that both of the Republicans who were incumbents did not get 50% on election day. So then they had the runoff and the Democrats won those two seats. So obviously that is a scenario. It could happen. But if either Walker or Warnock gets 50%, then it's over and they won. Good to know. This is definitely something to watch. Not just if there's a runoff, but if someone gets 50%. I will definitely make the prediction and say that Whichever party wins the state, if it doesn't get to a runoff, whichever party wins the state wins control of the Senate. Georgia is crucial for Democrats and Republicans, and both of them definitely know it. Then you've got Nevada, which is the seat that I actually think is the seat that is most likely to flip from Democrat to Republican. Basically, just looking at all the data right here. Incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is in the fight of her life against Adam Laxalt, who served as the state's attorney general from 2015 to 2019. This is the one that Democrats don't actually need to win if they win Pennsylvania. If they keep all their other seats, they win Pennsylvania, they could still lose Nevada and control the Senate. Obviously, they would like more than 50 votes, so they'd really like to win Nevada. But according to 538, Laxalt's got a 54% chance to win. 58%, according to The Economist. All three ratings have it as a toss up. The Real Clear Politics average has Laxalt up by 0.4%. And the latest New York Times poll has it dead even. Each candidate has 47%. And obviously, 47%. One of those candidates was probably going to get up to 50%. So there are some undecideds who are going to make or break this election in the coming days. This one is going to be extremely close and there, there is definitely a chance that this one decides Senate control too. Probably not as much of an indicator as Georgia might be, but Nevada is one that both parties desperately want. It is at the top of both of their wish lists. So. Those are the most competitive races in the Senate this year. The ones that will decide control. I know election night is on Tuesday. Everyone's going to be watching the results come in. I know I will. I'm going to have a splendid time watching the results come in. I, whoever wins. I just love snuggling up in front of the TV. Watching John King at the Magic Wall, Steve Kornacki at the Big Board, some of my favorite nights of the year. Oh my gosh, Tuesday's gonna be amazing. Ha ha, loser! But also, election night 2022 might end up more like election night 2020, and that is, we don't get the results and we don't know who's gonna win on election night. That was 2018, and 2016, even though 2016 happened in the middle of the night. but. It's probably going to be more like 2020. It may be more like 2018 and 2016, but obviously, we'll see. But we, even if we don't know the winners, who is actually going to control the Senate or the House on election night, we can start to be able to sense some trends. The races to watch early definitely are going to be Pennsylvania and Georgia. Those are probably the two biggest because those are going to have the earliest poll closing times earlier in the evening. Of course, those are on the East Coast. You've got North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Ohio as well. And then Arizona and Nevada later on in the night on the West Coast. But could it be that if one of the competitive states' results come early, it could portray what future results could be? It's possible. Of course, this isn't a presidential election, so there's not one set of candidates for every state. These are different candidates. These are different states. That's all different. So maybe not. Or maybe. But overall, the Senate has moved to more of a toss-up in terms of what the polls and the forecasts are looking like. That's how it's looking right now. And like I said, the only numbers that are going to matter are the ones that come out on election night. Every vote is going to count. Which is why you need to vote. What do you say? So that's the Senate. Let's move over to the House. In the House, you've got new districts, of course, because of redistricting. This could have a significant impact on who is going to control the chamber next year. The polling and forecasts are also showing better numbers for Republicans in the House, just like the Senate. Just like every two years, all 435 seats are up for grabs in the House. 218 seats are needed for a majority. And right now, 222 seats is the number that the Democrats have for the majority, 213 for The Republicans, but 538 gives Republicans an 83% chance to gain control of the House. The Economist says that Republicans win 75 out of 100 simulations in their model. Now, the Economist model says that Republicans, on average, will win 224 seats compared to Democrats 211. 538 is predicting that Republicans will win 230. 538 also has the popular vote margin at 4.2% for Republicans, while the generic ballot average is 2.8% for the Republicans on Real Clear Politics. That's a lot of numbers. That may be because of those Republican pollsters. We obviously are not going to know until we actually get the results. The Economist model has a dead even forecast share of the vote. So that's different than what 538 has and Real Clear Politics. But as it has looked for basically this entire cycle, Republicans are favored to win the House. Now, the margin looked much lower this summer, but Republicans' chances, at least according to the forecasts and the polls, have gone back up in recent weeks. Now, of course, all of the 435 seats are not going to be competitive. There's a ton of seats where one party is just going to cruise. We are in a new redistricting cycle, and that's resulted in even more of those districts that have safe democrats or republicans where they're just going to cruise really don't even need to campaign because they know they ain't going to lose 538 is projecting that 196 republican seats are safe and 165 democratic seats are safe so you add those up you've got 361 seats out of 435 that are not going to be competitive that just leaves 64 competitive seats and now that's according to 538. The Economist actually rates 105 districts as competitive. Obviously, they're going to have different criterias and stuff, but they're all pretty similar. Sabato's Crystal Ball rates 82 districts as competitive, that being they are either toss-ups or lean or likely towards one party is what competitive districts means. Politico has 119 competitive seats. And the Cook Political Report rates 76 seats as competitive. So finding the average of all that, we can say that there are around 89 competitive House districts this election cycle. It's a fact. So there are a bunch of districts to watch when it comes to control of the House of Representatives. But the most important races are going to be the ones rated as toss-ups, not just liens or likelies, but toss-ups. For all the ratings and forecasts I've seen, the races that are rated as toss-ups are going to be the ones that decide the election. And more often than not, there are a lot more democratically held seats that are rated as toss-ups than seats that are held by Republicans. In fact, according to 538's ratings, Democrats would need to win all 11 toss-up rated seats in at least one of the four seats that are rated as Republican-leaning to win control of the House. Democrats would need to win around two thirds of the Economist's 22 toss ups, and they would basically need to hold all 25 of the toss ups that they hold that are rated by the Cook Political Report. So, when we take a look at the ratings from the Cook Political Report, there are 35 toss ups in total, and these are the ones to watch. You've got 25 held by Democrats, 10 held by Republicans. These are the 35 seats that are going to win the house for either the democrats or the republicans so those 35 toss up seats 25 are held by democrats right now those seats those districts are oh yay california's 13th 47th and 49th districts connecticut's 5th illinois 17th indiana's first Maine's second michigan's 7th Minnesota's 2nd, New Hampshire's 1st, Nevada's 1st and 3rd districts, New York's 3rd, 4th, 17th and 19th, Ohio's 13th, Oregon's 6th, Pennsylvania's 7th, 8th and 17th, Rhode Island's 2nd, Virginia's 2nd and 7th districts, and Washington's 8th district. Now the 10 toss-ups that are held by Republicans currently are Arizona's 1st district, California's 22nd and 27th, Colorado's 8th, North Carolina's 13th, Nebraska's 2nd, New Mexico's 2nd, New York's 22nd, Ohio's 1st, and Texas's 34th district. Notably, there are two Republican seats, Illinois 13 and Michigan 3, that are currently rated lean Democrat with no Republican incumbent running. There are also 10 seats that are currently held by Democrats that are rated as either lean or likely Republican. That's obviously due to Redistricting. Those districts are Arizona's second and sixth, Iowa's third, New Jersey's seventh, Oregon's fifth, Florida's 13th, Minnesota's 10th, Tennessee's fifth, Texas's 15th, and Wisconsin's third. Now, out of those 10, pay close attention to Iowa's third district and New Jersey's seventh, because both of those are rated lean Republican by the Cook Political Report and by 538, but those are the only two out of those 10 that have Democratic incumbents running. If the Democrats can win at least one of those, they've got a shot in the House. If not, they could probably still win, but if the margins are large in those districts, then the Republicans are probably going to win the House. So those are two races to definitely watch. But out of all those races, I've got another two races that you should definitely be watching early in the night. Maine 2nd District, and Virginia's 2nd District. Quick facts! In Maine's 2nd District, which Trump won in 2020, you know, Maine has that different system where if you win the popular vote in Maine, you get some electoral college votes in the presidential race, and then if you win the 1st District in Maine, 1st Congressional District, you get another electoral college vote, and then the 2nd District has another electoral college vote. That's different. Maine and Nebraska are the only ones that do that, Trump won the second district in Maine in 2020, but so did a Democrat for House. That Democrat, Jared Forrest Golden, is the incumbent. And according to 538, he's got a 64% chance of winning. If Democrats lose that race, you might want to kiss their hopes of the House goodbye. But then you've got Virginia's second district, which is going to be one to watch very early. Virginia polls close at 7 p.m. Eastern and Virginia's results usually come out pretty quickly. And obviously, I live in Virginia. I'm not just saying this, though, because I live in Virginia. This is going to be one to watch wherever you are in the country, the 2nd District. And by the way, I'm not even in the 2nd District. Judge Xander. But this race looks like a dead heat. 538 has a 50% chance to win for both candidates. The incumbent is Democrat Elaine Luria, who served on the January 6th committee so this might be an early indicator of how the night goes if democrats win this race i'm not saying they'll win the house but they would be in a better position to do so if they lose they probably won't be unless the margin is like super close in which the race is probably not going to be called early in the night so that'd be another thing but I mean, I would go so far as to say that this district is a potential bellwether for what we're going to see in the House nationwide. Of course, there's obviously the chance that Democrats win this toss up and lose a bunch of others or Republicans win this toss up and lose a bunch of others. That's obviously the case. But if there's any bellwether district out there, this one might be at Virginia's second district, because if the incumbent Luria wins by more than two to three points. The Democrats would be well positioned. But all signs point to this race being extremely tight. So we will see what happens there. So, right now, the forecasts and polls are currently showing Republicans taking control of the House, not by a large margin, but a majority nonetheless. But, you know, when you've got a Republican party that is just fractured between the crazy MAGAs, you all know marjorie all them and the more moderate republicans i mean they are just going to be fighting the whole time so the margin that if they win the house the margin that they have over the democrats might prove crucial in some instances we'll see what happens republicans might win but if what the polls of the forecast are saying lines up Republicans should win control. But if it turns out that the polls are undervaluing Democrats and the early vote is a bigger indication than we might think, the Democrats certainly have a shot. And obviously, if Republicans overperform the polls, they will win the majority. So we'll see what happens in the House of Representatives. So now let's go to statewide elections. Hold on a minute. Basically, all we're talking about here. Our governor's races, the most notable gubernatorial races are the ones that I'm going to be breaking down. Governors who actually serve their state in their state and not Washington, D.C., or at least they're supposed to. These races are super important, of course, because these and other statewide races like secretary of state, if you can vote for that in your state could determine how elections will be conducted in the future in several states, including crucial battlegrounds like Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. And you also have tons of state legislature seats that are up for grabs all across the country. There are 88 state legislative chambers that are up for election this year. That is out of 99 nationwide. So (laughs) that's a big number. And right now, before... We obviously get the election results. Republicans currently hold 62 of those legislative chambers compared to 36 for Democrats. And one of those, the Alaska House, is organized under a multi-partisan power-sharing coalition. So how about that? But Republicans hold 54.10% of state legislative seats across the country. They have 3,990 seats. Democrats hold 44.32% of these seats with 3,271 seats. Obviously, those are spread out across all the 50 state legislatures across the country. Cool facts, bro. But a ton of these are up for grabs. It is very likely that you are going to be voting in elections for your state legislature this year. Not in Virginia. That's next year. But everywhere else, mostly everywhere else, you probably are going to be. And those have big, major effects on what goes on in your state, which could definitely affect your life. So there's that. But back to the gubernatorial races, there are 36 governorships out of 50 that are on the ballot this year. Currently, Republicans hold 28 governorships. Democrats control 22. So there are only 14 governorships that are not on the ballot this year. Six of those are Democrats. Eight of those are Republicans. And out of the 36 that are up for election this year, 16 are currently held by Democrats and 20 are currently held by Republicans. So let's start off with the seats that are definitely not going to flip. I, I guess I can't say definitely, but like they're not. I'll just say that. Or what would we consider safe seats? Democrats have six of those, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, and Rhode Island. Republicans have 12 of those safe seats, Alabama, Arkansas, Iowa, Idaho, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Ohio, South Carolina, south dakota tennessee vermont and wyoming iowa and ohio obviously have closer senate races those are states where split ticketing is probably going to be going on and of course vermont and new hampshire two blue states with popular moderate republican governors that was the case in two of the states that i'm about to mention where republicans hold the governorship let's get to the competitive races that republicans hold of which there are eight We can cross two of them off immediately because they're not really competitive. Massachusetts and Maryland, they're almost certainly flipping to the Democrats. Both of those states had moderate Republican governors, Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, Maryland, Larry Hogan, who are term limited. They can't run again in those states. And their state parties decided it would be a good idea to nominate extremist MAGA Republicans in two of the bluest states of the country. So those two are flipping to the Democrats, Massachusetts and Maryland. Another fact. The remaining six are ranked from what I think are least likely to flip to most likely to flip. Those are Oklahoma, Alaska, Florida, Texas, Georgia and Arizona. Let's start in Oklahoma. I mentioned this last time because this was interesting. It's Oklahoma. The two Senate races that are there aren't close. And oh, yeah. It's Oklahoma, but Democrat Joy Hoffmeister has still been receiving some decent polls, although these don't look to be that highly rated. There is a good Emerson College poll that just came out. That shows the incumbent Republican Kevin Stitt up 10 points, and 538 gives Stitt a 94% chance of winning. So apparently this is considered competitive. I would honestly be shocked if Democrats won this. I guess it isn't out of the realm of possibility. But, like, come on. Democrats aren't going to win in Oklahoma. Now to Alaska. The only reason this race is considered competitive is because you've got that new ranked choice for candidate system. Republican incumbent Mike Dunleavy is given an 87% chance to win from 538, and the polls consistently show Dunleavy by wide margins. The only thing, though, he's not polling above 50%, which always leaves the possibility for a surprise. Like the Democrat who won the Alaska House race earlier this year, which is actually that race is now rated lean Democrat by Cook because of the incumbent being a Democrat. However, I would expect a Republican win in Alaska, but if it doesn't happen, somehow, some way, that's the reason why. Now to Florida, oh, Florida. Everyone's favorite Santa Claus man, Ron DeSanta Claus, looks well on his way to reelection. is the chance that 538 gives DeSantis to win against his Democratic opponent, congressman, and former governor of Florida when he was a Republican, Charlie Crist. Polling consistently is showing a nearly double-digit lead for DeSantis, which is something that massive polling errors are probably going to lead to a Democratic victory. DeSantis is going to win, and he's going to use this as a springboard for 2024, which is going to be terrible. But, of course, we'll talk about that on future podcasts. Then you've got Texas. Beto O'Rourke is still trying to drum up support. It's just not working against Republican Governor Greg Abbott. The voters of Texas appear to be prioritizing other issues instead of the horrendous response to the Evaldi school shooting. Mm. But pretty reliable polling is showing Abbott up by comfortable margins. And 98% chance to win from 538 should keep Texas in the Republican column. Now, those four races that I just mentioned were rated likely Republican by the Cook Political Report, but Georgia is rated lean Republican. Incumbent Republican Governor Brian Kemp is facing Stacey Abrams in a 2018 rematch. That race was super close. This doesn't look like it's going to be as close this time, though. Kemp is looking to use his incumbency advantage to secure victory while he has signed voting rights and abortion bills that are not popular his decision to push back against trump's claims that the 2020 election in georgia was rigged which were false is likely going to save him this week's new york times sienna college poll had kemp up five so it looks like there's going to be split tickets in georgia and expect kemp to win even if Warnock wins that senate seat now to the race that is considered a toss-up arizona where extreme former local news anchor Carrie lake who does question the results of the 2020 election is facing state secretary of state katie hobbs the person who was in charge of validating the 2020 election in arizona there has been a massive polling shift towards lake recently Politics has the average at 2.8% for Lake, and now, obviously, remember that data I gave you, 75% in October. That's mostly partisan Republican polls, but the New York Times poll shows this race is tied at 48%. 538 gives Lake a 63% chance to win the seat being vacated by Republican Governor Doug Ducey, which is up from a 50-50 split in early October. But this race is still certainly up for grabs. But one thing I will say, though, is that what Katie Hobbs did or didn't do was refuse to debate Lake, which I personally think was a very bad idea. Whether that actually hurts her enough to where she loses in this age of politics, I mean, we'll have to see. We'll also have to see if there are voters who vote for Mark Kelly for Senate and carry Lake for governor, which would certainly be some. Strange ticket splitting. Not blasphemy. Now over to the ten Democratic-held seats, which are currently competitive. Let's start with the three that are rated as likely Democrat by the Cook Political Report: Minnesota, New York, and Pennsylvania. So let's start in Minnesota. Incumbent Democrat Tim Walsh is currently ahead, and the Real Clear Politics average by over four points, and is favored with a 91% chance to win by 538 over his Republican opponent Scott Jensen. Wall should win, and probably by a comfortable margin, if Democrats are going to have any hopes at anything else nationwide this year. Republicans have started to hype their chance, though, in New York, but that, come on, that's not going to happen. Yes, Democrats did have the controversy, Andrew Cuomo, all that stuff, he's gone, and Kathy Hochul is now running to serve a full four-year term. Her opponent is Congressman Lee Zeldin. He represents the first district of New York, who voted against certifying the results of the 2020 election. So, <laughs> yikes! Yeah, not happening in the state of New York. Hochul maintains a wide lead in polls that are not GOP partisan funded. She's given a 97% chance to win from 538. She will win in New York. And then there's Pennsylvania, where state attorney general Josh Shapiro. Is facing extreme mega candidate Doug Mastriano, who wants to ban abortions, with no exceptions, and believes that Donnie Boy won the 2020 election, not just in Pennsylvania, but nationwide. In a state with a tight Senate race, Shapiro was given a 96% chance to win the seat that is being vacated by Democratic Governor Tom Wolfe. That's according to 538. Wolf is term limited. The New York Times poll shows him up 13 points. Shapiro Republicans probably could have definitely helped their position in the seat and potentially for Oz in the Senate. If they hadn't picked like a loony like this man is frickin like I don't want to say the word stupid, but like he's got issues. But they did. And they're going to get smacked in Maine. Incumbent Democratic Governor Janet Mills is given a 91% chance to beat her Republican challenger, Paula Page. That's according to 538 in a seat that is rated as lean Democratic by the Cook Political Report. I think that Mills is probably going to win by a comfortable margin, even though Maine's a little weird. They elected Susan Collins. Then you've got Michigan, where polling hasn't been as good for incumbent Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer recently but still good enough where it would be a major surprise if she didn't win. She's ahead 3.4 points in the Real Clear politics average, an 88% chance to win according to 538 over Trump-favorite Republican Tudor Dixon. The race is down to single-digit margins, but it should be Whitmer prevailing that is the result. The third of the states rated lean Democratic by Cook is New Mexico. You've got incumbent Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, who re- Biden reportedly considered for his vice presidential pick. She's ahead in the quality polls available and four points in the Real Clear Politics average, given an 83% chance to win over Republican opponent Mark Ronchetti by 538. New Mexico could sometimes be interesting, but incumbency advantage is probably going to pull Lujan Grisham into another. Term. And now the final four the four Democratic held governorships that are currently rated as toss ups by Cook. Let's start with Kansas. Yes, Kansas. Incumbent Democratic Governor Laura Kelly won her 2018 race basically because the Republicans just put out like the worst candidate imaginable, Chris Kobach, who was just Awful. Awful. She won. And to defend her seat, she is facing State Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Remember, this is Kansas, a ruby red state, barring Kelly's 2018 race, but also the abortion referendum back in August. Abortion rights won by a surprising 18 points. Cook, Politico, and the Crystal Ball all have this race as a toss up. 538 gives Kelly a 60% chance to win. There is a lack of polling in this race, so I would say there's a decent chance for both candidates in Kansas. Now over to Nevada. Incumbent Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak is in a dogfight with Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo. Clark County is the county with Las Vegas in it in Nevada. Democrats on the ground have said Nevada is not looking good, and that may be the case here. This toss-up seat has Lombardo with a 55% chance to win, according to 538, He was four points ahead in a different New York Times poll that was released recently. For Democrats to have a chance in Nevada, they may want to be hoping for polling errors to become reality. But early voting signs are showing that they could hold on. I mean, we'll have to see until results start to come in. But Nevada is super close for both governor and senate this year. Then there's the interesting case of Oregon, a solidly blue state which could elect a Republican governor. That's because an independent candidate is throwing a wrench into things. The top three candidates that are currently vying for the position that is being vacated by Democratic Governor Kate Brown are Democrat Tina Kotick, Republican Christine Drazen, and former Democrat—she was a conservative Democrat and now independent— Betsy Johnson. Johnson's not going to win, but she is making things a lot harder for Kotik by potentially splitting some of the Democratic vote. Now, make no mistake: this race is only close because of Johnson. And recent polling shows that there is a dead heat between Kotik and Drazen, and whoever gets the most votes wins. You don't need to hit 50% like you do in Georgia. So, whoever gets the most votes is the winner. And right now, Drazen has a 51% chance to win a Republican in Oregon with anti-abortion views. We'll see how that holds up. A Republican has not won the Oregon governorship since 1982, but this race is anyone's to take. That was a fact. And finally, we head up to Wisconsin, where the race between incumbent Democrat Governor Tony Evers and Republican Tim Michaels is also a dead heat. Four years ago, this race was also super close. Evers was able to squeak by incumbent Scott Walker, but he is hoping he can have some incumbency advantage this time around. 538 gives Evers a 52% chance to win against the Trump fan Michaels, while the Real Clear Politics average has Evers up by just 0.2%. Holy cow, that race is close. And if Michaels wins, there's going to be a lot of radical right legislation going into effect in Wisconsin. That race is super close. So they're the most competitive governor's races. And with these, probably not able to make any comparisons between, oh, this is what happened in Pennsylvania, this is what happened in Nevada, or whatever. Because, obviously, governor's races are so different than congressional races and the fact that they're more aligned to their state. But, obviously, the biggest ones to watch are going to be to see who wins in Arizona, Oregon, Kansas, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Those are really the big five for governor's races. So, there are the big three right there, the House, the Senate, and governor's races breaking those down. Are we done yet? I've got one more thing left on this podcast because we've talked a lot. We've had separate podcasts about a bunch of the major issues that have been going on this cycle, but we haven't really talked about them all together. So that's what I'm going to do right now because obviously we are six days away from election day. We're going to take a look at the top issues for these upcoming midterm elections. There's a ton of different polls and surveys out there about the biggest issues in this election cycle, and it's also important to make sure that you know what you're reading when you look at them. Don't take the actual numbers too literally. All polls have margins of error. Of course, that could be said for earlier, and small differences can definitely be insignificant. Overall trends, though, are much more noticeable, and that's the way to look, so I've got three really big surveys here, all from the last week and all from reliable pollsters that have been trusted for many years. We've got Morning Consult, Reuters, Ipsos, and the Pew Research Center. So let's start with the Morning Consult midterm tracker, which is updated daily. It asks about the top issues that are driving voters' decisions for the 2022 midterms. With the eight choices that they had being the economy. Ukraine, immigration, education, abortion, gun policy, COVID, and crime. For all voters in total, the economy is the top issue. 80% say it is very important when deciding whom to vote for. Now, again, don't take that 80% number. Literally, that's more of a generalization. But in this case, crime is second at 61%. So the economy has been shown as the most important issue this cycle then you've got a bunch grouped together abortion gun policy immigration and education are all between 52 to 48 percent then you've got ukraine and covid at 33 percent now i'm going to address those issues obviously we're gonna to get to that in a second but let's take a look at the rest of the data first elsewhere in the morning consult poll it found that congressional democrats were found to hold trust advantages over congressional republicans when it comes to health COVID, education, and guns, with the average issue favoring Democrats by six points. Now, Republicans hold edges when it comes to immigration, the economy, and national security. And it was also found that while Joe Biden's approval sits at 44% from likely voters, Democrats and Republicans are essentially tied when asked if they are extremely or very enthusiastic about voting at 65 and 64 percent too many facts now in the reuters ipsos poll or survey which was released last week respondents were given six options for what the most important problem the country is facing today is 29 percent said inflation 15 percent said jobs in the economy eight percent said gun violence and mass shootings seven percent abortion six percent immigration and 6% for climate and environment. In regards to the economy, 45% said that their personal finances were weaker than a year ago, 33% said they're about the same, 21% said they are stronger. That led to 41% of respondents saying they are saving less money now. When asked which party has the better approach for tackling inflation, 42% said Republicans, 31% said Democrats. We'll get to that. But with abortion, 46% said they favor Democrats, only 25% said Republicans. And then with health care, 31% said Republicans, 43% favored the Democrats. And finally, when asked if you are certain to vote or have already voted, 85% of Republicans said yes, compared to 83% for Democrats and 57% for independence, the Dem and Republican numbers basically even. So it's looking like independence. Who they favor? It's going to be up to them probably this election cycle, like it usually is. And in the Pew Research survey released last week, seventy-nine percent of registered voters say the economy is a very important issue for them. Seventy percent say the future of democracy. Sixty-four percent for education. Sixty-three percent healthcare. say violent crime, 56% abortion, and 54% for foreign policy and immigration. Now, for those issues, those who say the economy is very important favor Republicans. That's the same with violent crime and immigration. While those who say the future of democracy, health care, and abortion are very important tend to favor Democrats. These are facts. Those are the three surveys. Now, how about an analysis? of these issues it's pretty clear as i've said i think for months now that the economy is the biggest issue it usually is it's the economy stupid and it's mainly due to rising prices because of inflation along with gas prices now you may remember i talked about those two issues specifically extensively in a previous podcast back in june which is titled it's the economy stupid which you should go check out if you haven't. In that podcast, I broke down why inflation and gas prices are the way they are and why I don't think that Democrats should be getting the blame that they are. But in any case, some people just don't listen to facts. So sad. And are still mostly blaming Biden and the Dems. So if you're going to vote for Republicans on this issue, why? It doesn't make any sense just because they're the opposition. You could say that, but that's dumb. That's like saying I'll vote for anybody other than Trump. I don't care who it is. Okay, what if it's Hitler? Like, okay, you know, but I'm just saying that argument is silly. So I went on the little interwebs and found what Republicans are proposing, not just on the economy, but on all the major issues this year. It is a document called The Commitment to... America. How wonderful. I found this on the website of the Republican leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy. So, this is not me finding some weird thing on the internet and spouting lies. This is a document from the Republican leader of the House. It is factual. And you can find it online. Go look it up. So, for the economy, The document says that Republicans will curb wasteful government spending that is raising prices and growing the national debt. The only issue, of course, is that the U.S. budget deficit was actually cut in half for this fiscal year. That's the biggest drop in history, by the way. It's true. Just thought you all would know because that is a fact. And of course, it's not just government spending that's raising prices. You can't really be blaming all this inflation on $1,200 checks that people got in February of last year. That's really not an excuse for November of 2022. It's corporate greed coming out of the pandemic as well. There's always been corporate greed, Xander. But corporations are making record profits, including oil companies. That isn't mentioned anywhere on the document, though, so I don't know. The Republicans also want to increase take-home pay, create good-paying jobs, and bring stability to the economy through pro-growth tax and deregulatory policies. So I'll just translate that for you all. They want to cut taxes, once again, which contradicts trying to lower the national debt. Why? Because they cut taxes for the wealthy back in 2017. The national debt rose by $7.8 trillion in Trump's four years. That is the third largest increase relative to the size of the economy of any presidential administration behind Lincoln and Bush 43. Bush 43 was eight years. Donnie boy was only four. Gash facts. So I got to be honest with y'all. This does not sound like the best way to reduce inflation. And I have not heard or seen anything else from Republicans on exactly how they're going to reduce inflation. This is all they have. And it does not look good. So there's that. There's a lot of other issues, though, which I'm going to go down the list on. Republicans also want to maximize production of reliable, cleaner, American-made energy, which I support, by the way. That sounds good. But why does their leader, dear Johnny Boy? keep touting clean, beautiful coal. If they mean reliable and cleaner American-made energy, they mean coal, then I don't support that because that is not cleaner. They tout American energy. Of course, they wasted no time cozying up to Saudi Arabia and OPEC for four years to lower gas prices. They also want to move supply chains away from China and expand American manufacturing. That sounds great, but it was already done by the Democrats in the CHIPS and Science Act which was passed on a bipartisan basis by the way so it was done by Democrats and Republicans which expands American semiconductor manufacturing. So that's already being done by the other party. Over to immigration, Republicans want to fully fund effective border enforcement strategies and they didn't specify but they want a wall which is not effective by the way. We need if listen If they wanted like 21st century options, that would make sense. They also want to end catch and release loopholes, require legal status to get a job, and eliminate welfare incentives, which they probably could have negotiated to get some of those things with Democrats back when they had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, which was not that long ago, by the way. I know 2018, 2017 seems like a while ago. It wasn't. And they could have done that when Democrats held the House, when they were negotiating. But their leader, the man who ran the party, wanted a wall. So that stuff didn't happen. For a crime, Republicans want to support 200,000 more police officers through recruiting bonuses and oppose all efforts to defund the police. Oh, good for you. The only issue is that Democrats are not actually trying to defund the police, as evidenced by a bill that gives $60 million to local police departments, which was passed on a bipartisan basis in the House and needs to pass the Senate with 60 votes. So 10 Republicans need to vote for it. It hasn't passed the Senate yet, but it passed the House. And also, it wasn't that long ago that there were people on the Twitter machine, Marjorie Taylor, you know who were shouting, defund the FBI, law enforcement. Republicans, though, also want to crack down on prosecutors and district attorneys who refuse to prosecute crimes. Crime is a major issue because it is only in Democratic cities, right? Nope. Well, actually, in 2020, eight out of the ten states with the highest murder rates voted for Trump. Those 10 states in order from 1 to 10, Missouri, Louisiana, Kentucky, Alabama, Missouri, South Carolina, New Mexico, Georgia, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Georgia and New Mexico are the only states that voted for Biden, and Georgia is entirely controlled by Republicans, so... That's a big fact. Yeah, but crime is rising, and that's a big issue, but in here... They're just talking about not defunding the police. Democrats are trying to give money to the police right now because they have a bill that they passed the House, it's passed to the Senate. It's to get Republican votes, by the way. We'll see if that happens. Moving on to national security, though, Republicans want to support our troops, good for them, invest in an efficient, effective military, establish a select committee on China, and exercise peace. Although apparently Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans would rather stop funding support to Ukraine, which could result in peace, by the way, just it would also result in a Russian occupied Ukraine, which I don't know. Republicans might want at this point. I don't know. We'll see. And then, oh, here we go. Parental rights. Republicans want to advance the parents bill of rights. Lord have mercy, which recovers lost learning from school closures, which is a legitimate issue, and expand parental choice, which is not because that means that basically just means school choice, charter schools, which by the way, if you haven't heard me talk about charter schools in this country, episode 63 of this podcast from back in May, spoiler alert, charter schools do not improve test scores and they really only serve to resegregate schools. Charter schools flat out stink. And that's what Republicans want. They also want to defend fairness by ensuring that only women compete in women's sports. Because screw you transgenders, we don't care about you. Also, I don't know why they have that above stopping mass shootings and all that stuff, but this is a big issue. That was dumb. In regards to health care, Republicans want to personalize care to provide affordable options and better quality. Wow. Wow. But that's all they said. So little details, meaning they don't have a plan. They didn't have a plan in 2017 when they actually tried to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, and they still don't right now. John McCain saved them because they didn't have a plan, and then everything would have gone to sugar, honey, iced tea. If they actually had a plan, they'd come out with a plan. Also, lower prices through transparency, choice, and competition, which is actually pretty funny because... Republicans voted against a bill in the Congress that caps the cost of insulin at $35 a month. So, that's basically a lie. And provide greater privacy and data security protections, equip parents with more tools to keep their kids safe online, and stop companies from putting politics ahead of people. You know, because we don't like that our Donny boy was kicked off Twitter. What did he do wrong? He needs to get back on their free speech. There you go. But also, maybe don't give big tax breaks to the wealthy corporations. That might help some of that stuff. Now, the final section is titled, A Government That's Accountable. How nice. Republicans want to uphold free speech, protect the lives of unborn children and their mothers, Translation, they will try and go forward with their national abortion ban, which was already proposed by Republicans in the Senate. So that's what they're going to try and do. Guarantee religious freedom, except Muslim bans apparently, and safeguard the Second Amendment, because who cares about all those school shootings? That's literally all it says. Safeguard the Second Amendment. That's all it says about guns and mass shootings. Safeguard the Second Amendment. You know where their priorities are. Also, Reign in government abuse of power and corruption. Might want to take a look at the past POTUS. Donnie boy. Require the White House to answer for its incompetence at home and abroad. That's what they want to do. Okay. They also want to end special treatment for members of Congress by repealing proxy voting and increase accountability in the election process through voter ID, accurate voter rolls, and observer access. So, you know, make sure they're not voting for Democrats, of course. By the way, I support voter ID. Just why don't we have a free ID that we give out to everyone? That's cool. Like, then it would make sense. But basically, if you require people to have an ID to vote and it costs money, that's basically a poll tax, which was outlawed many years ago because that's what conservatives were doing to black people in the south in the jim crow era now finally republicans want to save and strengthen social security and medicare which is very interesting considering house republicans have been on the record saying if they win the house they will shut down the government and hold off on funding bills unless social security and medicare spending are cut which basically means benefits that millions of Americans have already paid into would be cut. Ah, yes. What a tremendous idea. There's also the idea from Florida Senator Rick Scott, Ricky, who has a plan that would sunset all federal legislation after five years, meaning all federal laws would need to be passed every five years. So that would mean Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid would have to be passed through the Congress every five years. What? My God, what an awful idea. I and mean, you know, Republicans are eager to make sure those don't pass, like make sure all federal legislation sunsets after five years. That is just going to massively increase somehow the gridlock in Washington, D.C., and it's going to defund all those programs. So there you go. Among the other Republican ideas on Medicare. Removing Medicare's right to negotiate drug prices. This is no longer on the sheet. This is somewhere else. And removing the $2,000 cap on out of pocket pharmacy expenses. Of course, you probably wouldn't expect any less from Rick Scott, who was famous for running a hospital company that had to oust him after the largest Medicare fraud in U.S. history. Scott was CEO of Columbia HCA when the hospital company was fined. 1.7 billion dollars billion with a b for medicare fraud this is a fact and then on sunday he went on cnn and claimed that democrats voted to cut 280 billion dollars out of medicaid this year already which is actually not true imagine that so the republicans have a lot of ideas most of them are not good or don't make any sense which i just told you about Not a lot of specifics, though, and the ones that they have are just not good. But anything that Republicans want to pass, obviously, wouldn't pass through Congress and the White House until, at a minimum, 2025. But there's all the ideas for you. Just some great stuff. But one issue I was surprised didn't come up as much when looking at all of that, the polls, the surveys, and that analysis, were elections and democracy. The percentage of voters who believe democracy is threatened in this country is very high, but either people are prioritizing other issues, or they're actually Republicans who believe that Democrats are the ones threatening democracy. Which, for that, all I'll say is propaganda really works. Rude! Listen to what Tucker's saying. Voters really are saying that, you know. You know, it's bad that Republicans are threatening democracy, but my gas prices are too high. I just can't vote for the Democrats. You know, if Republicans and Donnie Boy get their wish of a Christian fascist authoritarian state, which you can't really argue they're trying to head us down towards with all the stuff they just did. They tried to attempt a coup a couple years ago, just look at Iran for what they want to do. But with Christianity, then there's going to be much bigger things to worry about than the price of gas. So, there you go. Those are the issues that are defining these midterm elections. And what the facts are on those issues. Just thought I'd let you know. So, there you have it. That is basically Xander's 2022 Super Midterm Elections Preview, not just super for the elections, but super for the length of this podcast. So, there are how the races are looking. One week out, the issues that voters are thinking about the most and what the possible outcomes could be. Once again, you can believe the theory that the polling and therefore forecast models are being infiltrated with low quality GOP partisan polls and that the actual data from early voting will have Democrats overperforming come election night. It's certainly possible, but it's also possible that the ratings and the forecast models know what's up and get things right. But We won't know until the first results are released Tuesday night. Oh, that is going to be good. Like, y'all, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. The week leading up to election day in the United States. I know I'm going to be enjoying myself watching results coming in beginning on election night and finding out what's going to be going on in this country for the next two years. Will Democrats keep their congressional trifecta and maybe gain seats in the Senate? to remove the filibuster and pass loads of important legislation? Or will Republicans take the House and try to impeach Biden for existing, I guess? Or will Republicans take both the House and the Senate and create major gridlock in Washington? Good question. Those questions and many more will be answered next week by not just me, but you all, the voters. How about that. And speaking of next week, there will not be a new edition of the Zander's Facts podcast. No new podcast next week, since we're probably not going to know the full results on Tuesday night with early voting. It's likely we're probably going to have more drawn out results, kind of like we did in 2020, less like in 2018, which, by the way, does not constitute election fraud, Donnie. But next week, we will have a Xander's Facts flashback to fulfill all your fact Needs. So, to conclude this podcast, I just wanted to remind everyone for the final time this year on this podcast to vote. Because as citizens of the greatest country on earth, I would argue, the United States of America, the right to vote and express our opinion is just that. It's not a privilege, it is a right. There are many countries on this planet where that right is non-existent, and there are people in this country who are working to make sure that the United States of America becomes one of those. In this election, and all the elections that you can, express your right, express your voice, and vote. It is one of the greatest things about being an American. That should not matter whether you are a Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever. One of the greatest things about being an American is the right to vote. Never forget that, especially if you're thinking about skipping out this year. Do not skip out on voting this year, because no matter whether it is for president, Congress, governor, state legislature, or your local city, county, town, district, parish, elections, whatever, your vote matters doesn't matter what election it is. I just like to say that. Now, I'd also like to remind everyone how you can vote, because remember, in order to vote in the United States, you have to be a U.S. citizen 18 years or older on Election Day and meet your state's registration requirements. In some states, you can still register to vote up until and even on Election Day, which might be good to know if you're not registered to vote or if you haven't updated your registration like after you moved or something. So, you can vote with an absentee ballot by mail, although that's probably not an option this close to Election Day if you haven't already done it. Vote early in person, or you could do it the old fashioned way and vote on Election Day, which is this Tuesday, November 8th. The two links that are in this episode's description that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, vote.org and iwillvote.com, both of those will give you all the information that you need to be able to make sure you are able to vote. And if so, in which ways that you can, and where if you are voting in person. Even if you are registered and you are planning to vote, I would highly encourage you all to click one of those links and at least make sure that all of your information is up to date because you never know what happens. Some crazy stuff could happen. So there you have it. Xander's 2022 super midterm elections preview. After listening to all that, I hope that you are all fully informed on everything that's going on with the U.S. elections taking place next week. And of course, I'm going to have something written up on Xander's Weekend Facts this Sunday morning, which you should go check out as well for the midterms. Sunday morning, check Xander's Weekend Facts out. So there you go. Happy voting, y'all! It is election season in the United States. Everyone, go! Vote. Gash Facts. So there you have it. That is all I got for episode 81 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you liked all the facts that I had on this week's podcast, there were a ton of them, my goodness. Remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 81, rate and review the podcast, then go on all your socials Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts. That is Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends Spread the Facts! xander's facts podcast tell all your friends about the podcast about xander's weekend facts the newsletter which you should sign up for if you haven't xander's facts on youtube this episode is going to be available on youtube check it out the xander's facts link tree which is linked to this episode's description of course has all the xander's facts links and the xander's facts website xandersfacts.com, and the xander's facts shop oh so many facts so that is episode 81 as i mentioned Next week will not be a new podcast. I'll probably have some blurb that I'll say at the beginning that's updated on Tuesday night about how the elections are going or whatnot. But it'll be a Xander's Facts flashback next week. And then in two weeks, you are not going to want to miss this podcast. Two huge things that we are talking about. We are going to be reviewing the results of the midterms to basically see what the results were, who won what. And were the forecasts and polls right? We'll take a look at that in two weeks. And also, I am super excited about this. I don't know if I'm more excited about the midterms or the World Cup. The World Cup, the FIFA Men's World Cup 2022, is happening in November and December this year, which, you know, we'll talk about everything that's going on surrounding the World Cup Off the field, there's a lot of stuff to talk about off the field. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what's going on on the field. Because our boys, the United States men's national team, are going to be in Qatar. And it is going to be awesome when they beat England. Now, we'll talk about that in two weeks. Whoa. But also, real quick, you got soccer in this country. The MLS Cup Final, LAFC and Philadelphia Union, is this Saturday at 4 o'clock. Check that out. And then the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, had their final Saturday night. That was Kansas City Current and Portland Thorns. Portland Thorns won that 2-0. And it was in prime time on CBS. It was the most watched NWSL championship game in the 10-year history of the league. How about that soccer? We're going to talk a lot about it in two weeks on this podcast. So that is it. That is a wrap on episode 81 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 82 in two weeks. Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-F-A-C-T-S dot com.